Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. It all comes down to this. Well, Karis isn't the only one who can play that game. All right, there we go. Come on. Do I have it on backwards, Doug? I, I got to flip it around. This was given to me just before. I won't keep it, though. Don't worry, Doug. I appreciate that. Any other Vikings fans in there? Let me hear you. They, they just wave at me. They're like, I don't really want to be loud about it. That's okay. I understand. You know, they say Vikings fans are, are the closest football fans to Jesus. You know why? Because in suffering, you are closer to Jesus than any point in your life. So it's true. It's true. So today is Super Sunday. Don't you love Super Sunday? And today is super because of water baptism. Isn't it awesome to be part of eight people, four in first service, four in this service, uh, taking their next steps? That's awesome. Lambeau Field, really? This is what happens when you put Karis in charge of things. That's right. Okay, so it's Super Bowl Sunday. I need a few volunteers who can uh, hit the field goal. Can you hit the field goal from here? Give it a try. Hit the field goal. Come on. Come on. Somebody over here in this section. In the way back. Let's see. He's a Cowboys fan. Not sure he's going to hit it. Actually, a Vikings fan probably shouldn't get it. All right. That's all right. You're better than the Vikings kicker. A Cowboy hits it. Wow. Cowboys fan. Here we go. Anybody else? How about this side? Right in front. Right in front. Somebody in back. All right. From the side. From the side. Anybody else? Come on, ladies. All the ladies are like leaning away from it. All right. Come on. Right over here. There's a Vikings kicker right there. Uh, all right. Hey, pretty good. Oh, here comes one. Now, don't start digging stuff out of your purses and stuff. Start throwing bricks at me. Anybody else? Anybody else? Way in back. Here we go. Anybody? All right. Little man. Uh-oh. 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 Hey, I, got, I got one more. Hold over there. All right. Give it a shot. Come on. See, Super Sunday allows you to do this kind of stuff in church. Isn't that awesome? I love, I love the, the big game, though, right? Don't you love games where there's, like, something at stake, the playoffs, the championship game? I, I like those kind of games where there's something at stake, where it all comes down to this. That's what we're going to kind of talk about today. I think the reason I, I love the Super Bowl is the crowd, the anticipation, the energy, the food. Come on, Taylor, right? It's the food, that's right. The commercials, some of you just turn on the commercials, right? There's something big about this game. Have you ever played in a big game, a championship game where it all came down to a final free throw or a kick or a hit, something like that? Now, years ago, uh, when I was uh, young, (laughs) I'm not anymore, Uh, back in the 1900s when I was playing softball uh, for (laughs) for a church team, uh, now, I wasn't known for my, my, uh, my athletic prowess. I haven't always been this well built. Uh, but put the picture up. Of, so I'm the, it's kind of a dark photo. It was at night. I'm the little guy in front there. Uh, so we had the opportunity this year. I played with this team for three or four years for my church in Minnesota. And uh, we were in the championship game. It, it, it was a championship series, best two out of three games in one night. And so we had gone back and forth with this rival team throughout the year, and this was the big game. Uh, it was going to come down to these three games, and so we won the first one. And then the second one, it came down to, they were up one, one score. Uh, I was on uh, second base, 
and the winning run was on first base. We had two outs. There was a hit. It, it wasn't real deep. It was shallow, but we knew the fielder wasn't going to get to it. So I'm, I'm running to third base, and I get the keep going sign from the third base coach. So I, I touch the corner of the base, and I'm sprinting home. And, you know, I don't want to look because I don't want to slow myself down. So anybody ever made a play at home where you're, you're watching the catcher? You're, you're looking for their face to like, and their glove to move a certain direction, and you know the ball's coming, and you want to time your slide. And so here I was. I was giving it everything I had, and I saw his face. I saw his glove move, and I thought, this is it. I was ready to slide, and I knew what was going to happen. I was going to slide in such a way that the dry, sandy dirt right around home plate, I was going to throw up a cloud of dirt. It was going to cover the catcher in dirt. He wasn't going to be able to see the ball. He wasn't going to be able to see me. And if he did catch it, the umpire would be swallowed by a cloud of dust and wouldn't be able to make the call. And I was hoping she would just say I was safe. And I knew it would be close. And so I, I did the slide, went in, dust everywhere. And the umpire says, you're out. We are going to game three. So we go into the third game. It's back and forth. They actually get up a couple runs last inning. We have last at bat. Now, I get on base again. I, I wasn't a home run hitter, but I, I could hit a single and get on base. So I was on, on base, and we were now down by uh, – we, we had tied it up at that point, and I was on second base. My buddy gets up, and he hits another blooper to left field. And it was one of those catches where, or hits where you knew the left fielder could pretty much close his eyes and catch it. I'm thinking that's probably what he did. Uh, or the moon got in his eyes or something. I, I don't know. But I know that uh, as I was going, because there's already two outs, I could tell that he had lost it. There was something wrong. And so I'm watching him as I'm running, and I see the ball bounce off his glove and fall to the ground. And I see him kind of do this as I'm, oh, my goodness. So I start, I hit third, and I'm just trucking it again. I'm like, man, this old body shouldn't go through this. I knew it was going to come down to that slide again. And so I slid into home base and touched before I could get tagged. Fortunately, the umpire got it right this time, right? <laughs> and we win the championship game. And all six of our, our crowd goes nuts. <laughs> you know, they pour their Gatorade over everything. You know, it was... It was one of those moments that came down to that play. It wasn't because of, of, of my great athletic prowess. It's because the team played well, put us in that position, and we won. And that's why I love those kind of games, don't you? We, we love a good back-and-forth kind of game. But this is what I know about my, my time as an athlete, and, and some of you have competed. Successful teams, successful athletes, they don't make the goal, especially in football season, they don't make the goal just simply winning a bunch of games. That's not their, their goal each year. It's not simply to win their conference or the division. When you're at the professional level like the NFL, the goal isn't even to have the best record. The goal isn't uh, even to make the playoffs. The goal is to get to and win the Super Bowl. Karis was asking her, what could make today better if the Packers were playing in the Super Bowl? I totally agree. But she said, is there something that would make that better? And I said, yeah, the Packers lose. That's always a good, good thing. I, I got sidetracked. I'm sorry. Successful teams, right? They, they set their goal for the big game. Everything else are these small obstacles and challenges on the way to the bigger goal. They're focused specifically today on the Super Bowl. They're trying to win the Lombardi Trophy. Here it is. 
the silver god of football. That's what everybody strives for. That's what they put in all the off-season hours. They, they torture their body in workouts and training so that they can win that prize. And I'm sure there's some money that comes into play there somewhere. And I love hearing winning teams talk about focus. You can tell a, a winning team leader when, when after the, the football game, the, the win or the loss, they talk about the goal. They talk about Peyton Manning, for example, a, a great quarterback. All the Denver fans and Colt fans. Yes, all, all five of you, yes. Okay. But I, I like Peyton Manning. He's a great leader and, and a great example of success both on and off the field. And when he's interviewed after a big win or even a loss, he says things like, well, it was, you know, in a win, it's, a, it's good to get that one in, in the books, but, you know, we're focused on, on winning the next one so we can get to the Super Bowl. He's constantly looking beyond the moment. He's not focused on simply winning a game. He's focused on getting to the big game, the Super Bowl. Even in winning, they talk about that goal. Even in losing, they talk about, hey, we're going to come out and get the next one because our goal is to get to the Super Bowl. They set their sights on that goal. Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, calls it living with the end in mind. That you live in such a way and you make decisions based on where you want to go. That the end of your life or, or the later years of your life will be great. And that's a worthwhile goal. And I think those of, uh, of you who have experienced success in your life, it's because you set that goal out in front of you and you go for it. And you make decisions based on that. And while that's a worthwhile goal, I think there's maybe a better way for us to look at it today. That we shouldn't just keep the end in mind. We should keep eternity in mind and make decisions based on that. And while tomorrow and, and our later years are, are, are worthy to think about, tomorrow is not guaranteed to anybody. So why not think about eternity, where you can get heavenly rewards, where you can experience life, and it's always worth it. I think God loves sports, don't you? I mean, after all, he starts the Bible by saying, in the big inning. <laughs> Thank you. Let's pray. <laughs> right? But seriously, I think, I think God, is, God understands competition. And, and I'm not averse to competition. In fact, we have upward sports, and we like competition. We like to train kids how to handle themselves amongst competition. Because we know there's competition in the world. We want to teach kids the character and the values of how to compete with integrity. And the Bible talks throughout the scriptures, talks about, about and refers to competition and rewards. At the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, which is uh, the Apostle John writing about his experience uh, and a vision he had with Jesus. And these are the words of Jesus in Revelation 3. He says, to the one who is victorious, they will be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life but we'll acknowledge that name before the Father and his angels. I think there's a few things we can grab onto that this morning quickly. First, they will be victorious. They will be victorious. We sang about it this morning. You have won it all for me. You, you won the victory. We're victorious because of Jesus. There is that aspect of a competition, of overcoming the challenges and the obstacles. At the end of time, all who have placed their faith in Jesus will be victorious because of him. We will be victors. It, it says they will be dressed in white. What in the world does that mean, being dressed in white? Does that mean we'll have on our away uniform? 
maybe, and, and I think, you know, what that speaks of is that even Jesus lets in the away team. It's okay. He loves everybody. But actually, I think it means this. Being dressed in white is a reference to purity, holiness, and righteousness. That the scripture actually says that of our own account, of our own good deeds, our good deeds heaped up are like filthy rags, the Bible says. That our own righteousness, things that we think we can do right, they're like filthy rags to God. But the scripture also says that on that day, we will be clothed in white. We will be given new clothes, representing Jesus' righteousness. We will be clothed with his righteousness. Isn't that a great picture and symbol of the victory that Jesus has already won for us, that we will be dressed in his righteousness, able to stand before God the Father? And it talks about the book of life. The book of life really is the roster. Who makes the team? And the thing about the roster is not how good you are, right? You, you get dressed in white not because you are good. You get dressed in white because Jesus is good and perfect. And his perfection upon your faith and your belief in him, it gets transferred to your account. Your debt gets paid and you get the team uniform. And when you stand before God on that day, he sees you dressed in the righteousness of Jesus, and your name is in the book of life. The Bible says if your name's not in the book of life, you will be kicked out. You'll be asked to depart from God's presence. We refer to this as hell, and the Bible describes it as a place of fire and, and uh, a lake of fire. It has all the, this imagery of suffering. Why? Because outside of God's presence is suffering. Within God's presence, there is no suffering. So if you want to go to heaven, you want to be with Jesus. That's the only reason heaven's important. So I think this morning, for our purposes, we want to talk about what it looks like to be a great competitor and ultimately a victor. What does that look like? Three things I want to share with you quickly this morning that I think every great competitor has, especially in football. They have great vision, they have great hands, and they have great feet. They have great vision. In football, they talk about, especially like running backs, right? Some of the smallest guys height-wise on the field these guys are able to sprint between tacklers and, and do all these wonderful things. Why? Commentators say it best. Oh, man, that guy has great field vision. He, he, he can see the field. He's got great vision. It, it means they can anticipate and they see players and they kind of know where to go and they can fake one guy out and go another way. Some of the best were referred to as having great vision. Guys like Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, Walter Payton, the sweetness. Adrian Peterson and Ezekiel Elliott. Anybody? Ezekiel Elliott? Okay, all right. We've got some Dallas fans. They have great vision. And what does that mean for you and me? And I think it means that we have to see with the eyes of God, that we, we see beyond just what is immediately around us, and we see beyond that. We see with the eyes of eternity. We have an eternal perspective. That you understand that this life is not all there is, that there is something beyond this life. There's more than just living and dying, more than just trying to accumulate a lot of stuff or avoid pain and suffering or simply working to get by. There is more to this life. And when you have great vision, you see yourself for who you really are. You see yourself for who you really are. And you see God for who he really is. I think the temptation sometimes to see ourselves, we see ourselves sometimes worse than we really are or better than we really are. But when we see ourselves for who we really are, it's all in comparison to Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that one day a, uh, a rich young man came up to 
to Jesus and, and says, good teacher, I've got a question for you. And he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. There's so much wrapped up in that sentence that even Jesus would refer to only God as being good, even though Jesus was in nature, he was God. But the point he was making was a lot of us like to think ourselves as just inherently good, that people are inherently good. No, in, in fact, people are inherently selfish. That is nature. That is instinct. It takes something supernatural to act against our instinct. It's called the spirit of God. Many of us like to think that we are simply good, good enough. Well, what are we comparing ourselves to? <laughs> Other people, <laughs> person sitting next to you. <laughs> Look at the person next to you and say, I'm better than you. There you go. Now, turn to that person and say, no, you're not. <laughs> See, that's the basis of, of what we think of as good. We look at people around us and go, well, I'm better than them. Jesus is going to let me into heaven because that person is bad. No, he's not. That's not how you make this team. That's not how you make the roster is by being better than somebody else. Your goodness will be compared to his perfection, and you will never match up to that, ever. See, having great vision means you understand who you are, that without Christ, you're nothing, that you are sinful and selfish. We all are. But in the end, because of what Jesus did, his righteousness gets transferred to you. The debt you owed God, he pays. And you are now seen as perfect. And you see yourself for who you really are. Sinful beyond anything you can comprehend, but love beyond more than you'll ever know. And that's seeing God for who he really is. God is perfection. He's all-powerful. Some people get this wimpy version of who God is, like he's the punter on the team, right? <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> God is all-powerful. Men, can I challenge you to think of God as much more powerful than maybe you imagine him as? That in his presence, in the presence of Jesus, you would probably fear and tremble and possibly wet yourself. I'm just saying. God is powerful. When you see him for who he really is, he's full of love. And he's all-powerful all at the same time. You begin to have greater vision. You, get, you have eyes to see that there is more. And the Apostle Paul, he's the guy who wrote most of, of the books of the New Testament. And when he wrote, he was typically writing to a person or the churches back a couple thousand years ago. And so he, he wrote a book to the church in Philippi. It's called Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about competition. He understood this. He says it this way in Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained all this, I'm talking about righteousness of his, his own accord, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He hear what he's saying? He gets that the goal is still out in front. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You have to understand something about Paul. Paul in his former life was named Saul, and Saul was a murderer. Now you can call yourself good if you ain't murdered nobody. <laughs> Paul was a murderer, and he said, I, I, forgetting what is behind, forgetting all, all the troubles and, and the habits and the hang-ups of the past, even my good deeds I leave behind, and I strain and press on towards what is ahead. 
if you're an athlete, you know what it means to press on and press through, right? Whatever sport you 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 do that cause that that requires physical uh, training, there's a moment where in in cross country, I, I used to run on purpose without being chased, and we called it the wall, right? It, we called it the wall that we'd be we'd be running, and by mile number three or four, you'd hit the wall. Just that moment where your body says, "I can't go another step." But you knew if you pressed through, if you pushed on, if you persevered, your body would get used to it. And that wall, it would take more miles to hit that wall because you would press on. You would push through. There was always a little more you could give. And that's what Paul was talking about. He's pressing on to the goal because he has vision beyond his circumstances. He wrote that book, Philippians, from jail. He had been arrested for his faith. They talk about persevering. He's encouraging the church. He goes on in his book to the Corinth church in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says this, everyone who competes in the games, he's talking about the Olympic games, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He understood there was a prize. There was a goal to be sought, to be pursued, to press on for. That's what having vision means. So what are you competing for in this life? Is it to accumulate more stuff for fame and recognition, for power, for money, for sex, for that relationship, for winning? Do you want to, if, if I just had that, or for control, or for food, what is it that you're seeking in life? And is it going to give you life back? I love the scripture that he quotes from the Gospel of Mark. What does it profit a person to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? Think about that, the kind of vision that it takes to look beyond this moment, that gaining the whole world is nothing if you end up losing your soul in eternity. He says in there, we wanted to be the hands and feet of of Christ. And I want to close with those two things. Because I think to be a great competitor, especially in the NFL, you have to have great hands and great feet. And I think there's a biblical cue on that. You know the people who I think had some of the greatest hands in the NFL? Jerry Rice, Michael Irvin, Randy Moss when he played for the Vikings, Odell Beckham Jr., a guy who's, who's currently playing. It's interesting that my son, he, he's, he's a big uh, football fan, and, and he knows some of these names. But the name that, that for him is the name of, of wide receivers is Odell Beckham Jr. Just thinks he's the greatest receiver uh, Ever and obviously he doesn't know Jerry Rice, so he's wrong. <laughs> but but you know what they do when they when they play football out in the yard uh, with his him and his buddies, or when him and I are goofing around the house, he says, "Hey Dad, I'm I'm gonna Odell it." Like they, that's what they call it now when you make an amazing catch because Odell Beckham Jr. is known for making great catches, and, and he and and he's got wonderful hands in, in receiving the ball. And so when they're playing, they, they try to make these spectacular catches and they contort their body in a bunch of different ways and try to catch the ball. And they said, oh, I odelled it. And I just wonder about followers of Christ. When they do something wonderful with their hands, what do they call it? Can, they, can we say, well, I just Jesus did. I don't know, maybe, okay. I don't think that'll pick up and be, become a thing, but I, I wish it would. It, when we operate like Jesus, we have great hands. We're supposed to, we're meant to, serve and have great hands that serve people. In fact, when Paul was writing to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, he references the attitude of Jesus. He says it this way, as believers, you need to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. 
though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant. When he was writing to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance beforehand, that we should walk in those good works. That's what your hands are meant to do. In our house, we, we, have, we have a saying that your hands are to help, not hurt. You know, so if somebody does something, were you, did you have helping hands or hurting hands, right? Well, as a Christ follower, you were meant to have helping hands, to serve others, whatever that might look like. I love Matt and D- Danielle Forte's video, their testimony that they just did what they, they could do, where they grew up and they knew how to relate to to people that that maybe you and I couldn't, but that was their path, that was their route, that was what they were called to do, and they used their hands. They labored with the hands of God. And did you know there's there's a book in heaven, not just the the roster of who gets in, but there's a book of of records that records every good deed ever done in the name of Jesus. That might scare you. You know, in the NFL, they, they keep records on everything. You know, who tripped the most, who, you know, who, it all, some ridiculous things, but somebody's keeping track of everything. It's the same in heaven. Every good deed, the Bible tells us, will one day be rewarded. In fact, it says when Jesus comes back, he'll come back with rewards in his hand, and he'll have that book of all the deeds done in his name. So while you don't get into heaven because of your good deeds, you get rewarded in heaven because of your good deeds done in the name of Christ. Whatever the, that was. Jesus is coming back and he's going to give rewards for that. In fact, many references are made of crowns that will be given for the things you do on this earth. And why would you get a crown? I mean, you'll have everything you ever need in heaven. Why would you want a crown? The Bible tells us because we can lay it at the feet of Jesus as an act of worship. It's something that we give back to him as a, a sign of our love. It's not a salvation issue. It's a reward issue. I want to get to heaven, and I want Jesus to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Great is your reward. We do it out of a love for God, not out of obligation, but because we love God and he first loved us, we love others. So let me ask you, what will you have to show for the works of your hands done in this life? Will you have been found to gain the whole world, yet you will have forfeited your soul? At C2 Church, we think a lot about the next generation. I hope it was evident this morning when we bring the kids in. We, we let them take the step of water baptism because at a young age, we want them to know and we want them to serve Jesus. As a pastor, I, I, I counsel people who have uh, drug addictions and, and life-controlling behavior issues and things that it, it, at any age, later in life, things that are just holding you back. And we counsel and we seek God's help and God is faithful to bring people out of that. But how much greater would it be to raise up a generation that loves God more than the things of this world, that never get into drugs, they never get into life-controlling behaviors because they fell in love with Jesus at a young age. And let me tell you this, the church is responsible for the greatest acts of humanity ever in history. More hospitals have been built in the name of Jesus. The church has done more good in this world than any other organization, any other religion, without argument. And we want to raise up that next generation who will do that. Not only do they run to Jesus, but they run for Jesus. And that's the last thing I want to close with today. Is a generation that will run for Jesus. What about you this morning? Maybe you need to run to Jesus. There's some great, great 
running backs in, in the NFL that were, were known for their ability to throw off other players or get tackled by three guys and just keep going because they had great feet. One of them was Roger Craig. The guy was known for high knees. If anybody ever trained in football, they, they train you to keep your feet moving and have high knees so you could throw off tacklers. It would be harder for you to tackle. And I think there are some of you this morning that need to run to Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning, just keep your feet moving. Right? You remember football training? Your coach would just say, keep your feet moving. Keep your feet moving. Keep your feet moving. Some of you just need to be encouraged this morning. Keep your feet moving. That's what faith is. Faith isn't big steps all the time. It's just taking that next step, that one step. Whatever hardship you face today, whatever, whatever terrible, impossible situation you're facing this morning, just take one more step. Keep your feet moving. Don't let the devil take you down. Keep your feet moving towards Jesus. Run to him. There's no greater cause in this world, though, to run for Jesus. As you look at your relationship with Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you and challenge you again to run for Jesus. You know, in, in the statistics realm of the NFL, they have a statistic called YAC. Y-A-C. Anybody know what that means? Yards after catch. Very good. Some of the greatest are known for this. Jerry Rice being one of them. Tony Gonzalez of Kansas City Chiefs. These are guys who, once they catch the ball, are known for getting more yards from that point. And they count those yards from the point of reception of the ball to the point they get tackled. And I want to ask those of you who are Christ followers this morning, what have you done with the good news you've received? How many yards have you taken since you first received the good news? What have you done with the hope that you found in Jesus? Are you one of those who received the good news and they just crumpled down? I'm good, I'm good. Take the good news that you've received and run with it. Take it to those who need it, the people that God has put in your life at, at school, at your job, in your neighborhood, in your family. Run for Jesus. Romans 10 says it this way. How, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And again, in Ephesians 6, as believers, we should have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace of Jesus. So I want to challenge you this morning. Run with that gospel. You know, I'm proud of our kids and our students because of their generosity this year. Our student ministry and their missions giving gave over $23,000 to free international to fight human trafficking. They're helping dig wells across the world for fresh water. And our kids gave nearly $19,000 to missions this year to complete our project in Joyland uh, in Kenya, Kenya, Africa. And I'm thankful for a church that's generous. I'm thankful for a church that continues to give and to serve. We're going to El Salvador this summer. Man, I hope you come. What's holding you up? This is, this is yards after catch, baby. Go on a missions trip. You want to pick up some yards, go on a missions trip. Move with the feet of God. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? I'm so glad you were with us this morning on Super Sunday. And let me challenge you, church, to bring someone next week. We're going to talk about the message of the gospel and the mission of the gospel over the next three weeks in our new series called Pack Your Bags. And then in March, we're going to start a new series that's going to lead towards Easter. That's right. Easter's coming. Easter's coming. That series is going to be called Mic Drop. We're going to be dealing with the tough sayings of Jesus. And again, I want to challenge you, church, 
Who are you bringing with you? Who are you inviting into your life and into your home and into your church? Would you take that with you this week and begin to pray and think and invite people in your life? I'm going to close our service in prayer today, church. If you'd close your eyes and bow your head in this holy moment. I want to just challenge you again in this moment. Some of you need to run to Jesus this morning. Maybe it's because of hard times or things you're going through in your life. But would you run to Jesus? Or some of you need to run for Jesus. There's a mission that God has for you, a, a route you're supposed to run and only you can run it. Run that route. Get some yards after the catch. Take the gospel to people who need to hear about the hope of Jesus. But like we do most weeks, I want to close with the opportunity. Those of you this morning who are listening to the message, you've watched people declare their faith in Jesus. You heard our worship and declaration and praise of Jesus, but you've never made that personal commitment to him. You've never said to him, Jesus, come into my life. Be the leader of my life. Forgive me of my sins and give me new life. If you've never made that decision, now is your moment. This is your Super Sunday. In just a second, I'm going to ask for a raise of hands. We're not going to embarrass you, but we're going to challenge you to take that step in this moment. There's, there's no safer place, I guarantee it, there's no safer place than this moment to declare faith in Jesus, surrounded by people who've already declared faith in Jesus. And so in a moment, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. The church is going to pray with you. We're not asking you to join the church or give to the church. We're simply helping you launch into a relationship with Jesus. On the count of three, if that's you this morning, would you raise your hand up high? We're going to pray together. One, two, three, all over this room. Thank you. I see your hand over here on the left. I see you two in the front. And in the back, I see you. Yes. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm over here on your left side. Anybody else? Anybody else? Then, church, we're going to pray with all those who raised their hands this morning. We're going to pray a prayer out loud. If you would join them in this prayer of faith. Pray after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he lived the perfect life that I could not live. He suffered in my place and he died to pay my sin debt. But thank you that he rose again, that I could receive forgiveness of my sins and new life in him. I receive it today. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, could you cheer for all those who raised their hands today? Welcome home. Welcome home. Hey, if you made that decision today, if you made that decision today, there's a, a connection card in the chair back in front of you. We just want you to mark the appropriate box, fill out the information, drop by our connection center out in the hallway. We've got a great gift for you, a free Bible that we want to put in your hands to get you going on your relationship with Christ. We'd love for you to get water baptized in our next next water baptism. As Matt said earlier, if you're if you're new here and you haven't been to one of our new here lunches, you want to get to know some of our staff and a little bit more about C2, we welcome you to our free lunch down uh, the hall in our venue. It's going to start here in a little while. Uh, we'd love for you to join us if you're new here. Have a great week. I hope you invite someone next week and enjoy the Super Bowl. Have a great week. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.